1968 episode, we have a recruiting zone to discuss. Bob Skilton gets better, I mean, if that was even possible. Actually, it's a season for individual feats of excellence. Richmond and Hawthorne play out a remarkable game on Queen's birthday. The Demons and the Bombers start new errors under new coaches, with mixed results. Teddy Witten's big day is ruined, and a Saints recruit finds himself in hot water. All this and more, coming up after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the game. Um, we have no real qualifications other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and lots of books. Guys, welcome to the 1968 episode. We're back in the Kick Cave. Yes, we yeah. are. For the first time, all four of us, since yeah. the 1957 episode. It's been a while. Good year, that, The one though. we filmed. Good year, that. Yeah. Yes. Charlie, welcome. It's nice to be back at the table. Isn't it, Moz? Oh, good to have you here. Great to be here, Timmy. Yeah. Kazman. Hi, uh, it's been too long. It has. It's glad to be back. And before we get stuck into anything, Moz and Charlie, you guys have since uh, we last spoke held the Premiership Cup. The, yes. Yeah. The Demons 2021 Premiership we Cup. Certainly oh, have. The that? silver felt sleek. Yeah, I was, uh, it was lighter than I thought, though. Did you? Was yeah, it? Yeah, it was, maybe I mean, you've maybe just buffed up over lockdown. <laughs> no, it was heavy with uh, heavy with anticipation. That's it. Heavy with the weight of history. That's right. And how many photos did you get, Charlie? Uh, I mean, how many did I keep? Do you want to? Yeah, no, I've got you, you know might, maybe five to ten. In wanted office works at the moment, getting blown up for oh, their absolutely. mantle. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Yes. Can I be the one to talk about Charlie's face when he <laughs> they took the photo of him, and I think it was his wife described it as you weren't as happy when our child was born as <laughs> in that photo. Yeah, she did compare it to our wedding day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a bigger piece of silverware. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a thrill. It was a very exciting day. We were very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Indeed. All right, well, let's get stuck in. Hello, listeners in Romania, Hong Kong, Mexico, India, Czech Republic, and Poland. Fantastic. Oh, welcome. Eastern Bloc represents. It's a real, yeah, it's a, all Maybe over the, the place. The people in Russia have talked to their neighbours. Obviously, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's get into some history, Charlie. The song I'm going to choose is a classic Australian Diddy from 1968, Sadie the Cleaning Lady. Oh, Fonzie at his best. I believe written in 67, but released and charting in 68. It was number one for six weeks in Australia. Only six weeks for Sadie the Cleaning Lady. I mean, there's there's a few Beatles in there to to, to bump them out. It's surprising. I mean, that's a real battle of the heavyweights there. (laughs) Tony Farnham and the Beatles. (laughs) Yes, so a bit happened in 68. Good year. Uh, we had at the start of January, January 10th, we had John Gordon sworn in as the 19th Prime Minister of Australia, taking over from John McEwen, uh, who was only leader for a very short time after the di- disappearance of Harold Holt. So Gordon became becomes the only senator to become Prime Minister, uh, though he immediately transferred to the House of Reps uh, and took over Holt's vacancy. Uh, on the 4th of April, very sad news, we had the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, which then started the riots in many American cities, lasting for several days after that. 
On the 20th of April, we had Pierre Elliott Trudeau becoming the 15th Prime Minister of Canada. His son now the Prime Minister of Canada. On the 20th of August, the NGV, uh, the National Gallery of Victoria, was opened in Melbourne. Surprised it was that new. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like it's been there forever. Yeah. (laughs) Institution. Yeah. Uh, on the 10th of October, in the 1968 World Series, we had the Detroit Tigers defeating the St. Louis Cardinals in the best of seven, uh, four games to three, after being down three games to one. Ooh. So they com- completed an unlikely comeback against the heavily favoured Cardinals, led by the overpowering right-handed pitcher Bobby Gibson. <laughs> Uh, on the 11th of October, the next day, uh, NASA launched the Apollo 7, which was the first manned Apollo mission, um, with uh, Wally Shearer, Don Easel, and Walter Cunningham. The goals for this mission included the first live television broadcast from orbit and simulating a lunar module rendezvous and docking. Uh, and then uh, in the middle of October, from the 12th to the 27th, we had the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. Uh, Australia came ninth with a medal tally of five gold, seven silver, and five bronze medals. As part of that uh, that Olympics, the US athlete Bob Beeman. Yes, broke the long jump world record by 55 centimetres. He broke the record by 55 centimetres. This record then stood for the next 23 years and is still the second longest jump in history. Wow. Pretty incredible. Old sticks beaming, they call him. <laughs> no, that's not true, I don't know. On the 5th of November, we had Rain Lover winning the Melbourne Cup. Uh, and on that very same day in uh, America, we had the U.S. presidential election where Republican Richard Nixon defeated the Democratic candidate, the current vice president, Hubert Humphrey, um, and the American Independent Party candidate, George Wallace. Hmm. And that was the year 1968. Do you want to hear about some people who were born? Please. In 68? Yes. There were a few. But I'm only going to mention <laughs> a couple. Uh, on the 13th of May, we had the Prime Minister, ScoMo, Scotty Morrison, born. On the 28th of May, we had Kylie Minogue. And on the 1st of June, Jason Donovan. Ah. Yeah, very close together there. On the 4th of June, Rachel Griffiths, the actress. On the 9th of August, Eric Banner. On the 8th of October, Gary Hocking. I wonder if ScoMo was Buddha. given a lump Buddha. of I wonder if lump of coal was given to... Uh, on his birthday. <laughs> and on the 12th of October, Hugh Jackman was born so quite a who's who of Australian Ooh, uh, really acting royalty there isn't it absolutely so there we go thanks Charlie <coughs> alright um, let's get into the 1968 season then with some league news because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love um, now to start with and this, this is something that actually happened in 1967, but we didn't mention it then because it wasn't important. Um, okay, so in 67, the evening before the grand final, the league had a meeting where they had um, organised zones for recruitment. <clears throat> and they dele- they used the Premiership Cup with uh, zones in it on a piece of paper, and each delegate pulled out their zone. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> so we have recruitment zones now, so you can't recruit from anywhere in the country. No. If you are born in a certain area, you go to a certain club. Yep. Um, so we're going to read these out as we go through each team. Okay. 
Yeah, beautiful. So before this, there were no zones. They've no. been talking about it, though. Yeah, we've, we've had discussions about this sort of thing for it, a while. As, every, as it, with everything, it takes about 15 years from the first discussion yeah. for it to actually come in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, have, we are also extending the season from 18 rounds to 20 rounds. Hey! <laughs> so that each team plays at least nine teams twice. So there's like a few teams they're missing out playing. So it's, it's more even. Board management was also something the league was talking about. And... Um, bringing in a board to manage the league and all the league's issues which the clubs were heavily opposed to because they each club had a delegate on the board yes. or on the, in, in the VFL that made decisions the VFL pretty much wanted a, a separate arbitrator to they make decisions to take the power away from the clubs exactly and the clubs did not want this funnily enough um, the league also looked to be legalised betting on sport and they held talks during the year with the government to allow betting on Football games. If only oh. they could see the world we live in. Yeah, well, that took off. Then, <laughs> um, would you like an update on the Waverley development? Yes. <laughs> yes. There we go. Right, huge works on the drainage of the Oval have been going on. Yeah, well, considering it's what, like 40 metres <laughs> yeah. below sea level, yeah. I think that's important. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, lot, yeah, basically lots of, da- lots of drainage has been put in this year. <laughs> so, it's a year of drainage. A year of the year a, of drainage. A two foot, <laughs> a two foot four from the centre of the oval also assists in the drainage of water. So there's a big drainage in the middle of the ground as well. Mm. Two foot four from the centre. It falls the, away the, from the centre. Yeah, I guess there's a big drainage pot in there going out. Mm, okay. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's kind of the league news. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Tim. Nice. Cool. So shall we work our way up that ladder? Let's do it. So coming in 12th, North Melbourne, three wins, 17 losses. The percentage is 74.3. North wouldn't have been happy with a change to 20 rounds this year. <laughs> no, no, no. Losing a few more games. So this year, captained by Johnny Dugdale again and coached by Keith McKenzie again. Indeed. Um, their recruitment zone was? Ovens and Murray Football League. Oh, good league to get. <laughs> yeah, really good one. They would have been happy pulling that out of the Premiership. Very, cup. very happy. Um, some debutants for North Melbourne were Peter Chisnell, Doug Farrant, joining his brother, Brian Blackhouse, Sam Kekovich, Slam and Sam... Slam and Sam Kekovich? Yeah. Is he Slam and Sam? <laughs> I don't know. Sam Kekovich. Kevin Siles, Noel Teasdale went to South Australia, unfortunately. And the Pasco brothers were essentially sacked and cleared to St Kilda. Hey, Okay. So their season started well with a 19-point win over themselves, I've got written here. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great start. North Melbourne had a great win over Footscray by 16 points. Doug Farrant kicked five goals. Still better than Zoom. In round three, Farrant added four more and a win over the Lions at home, giving up a 40-point lead heading into the last to only win by 16. In round eight, Sam Kekovich made his debut in a loss to the Cats, but he was impressive, though, with 20 disposals and a goal. Then it was a long, barren 14 rounds Ooh. before their third and final win of the season. In what was the team's 800th league goal, uh, league game, they had an 11-point win over South Melbourne at Lakeside Oval. The Roos scraping in to win the game, only kicking away late in the game to win by 16. Farrant again showing up to win with... Uh, sorry. Farrant again showing up... Farrant again starring up forward with three. Doug Dale, the other standout. Um, but Doug Farrant was really the star of the season for North Melbourne with a good haul of goals throughout, uh, going only three of his 16 games without scoring at least one goal. So maybe they found a good, a good little nugget in the rough there. Yeah. Ah, so who do we think won uh, the best and fairest this year, the Sid Barker medalist? Is Doug Teasdale playing? John no. Dugdale? Yeah, that's what I mean. It was a mix of both of them. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It was Johnny, it was Johnny yes. Dugdale. Well done. And Doug Ferrant with the leading goals. Yeah. It was Doug Ferrant yeah. with the leading goals. Yes. 
in 11th place, Fitzroy with 4 wins, 16 losses, and percentage 80.7. Yes, so uh, coached by uh, Bill Stephen and captain by uh, Bulldog Murray again down there. Back for his second year. Yeah, yeah. really finally strike. Well, we've got a recruitment zone. We sure do from Hampden Football Football League. Hampton. Ham- Hampton. Ham- it's Hampton. It's Hampden. Yeah. Hampden. I believe they yeah. also got Colac and District League as well, which is another good one. <sighs> Some debutants for Fitzroy were Norm Dare, David Rhodes, Hugh Worrell, Doug Searle, and Russell Crowe's back as well. <laughs> Hugh Worrell, any relation to Jack? I don't believe so. Uh-huh. Uh, round round one That's signs good. were promising early. I mean, they did lose to Melbourne by four points, but that was close enough, and they were excited. <laughs> round two, they were actually able to beat Collingwood by 29 points at Princes Park, uh, which was a great turnaround from the year before when they lost by over 100 points to them. Um, Kevin Murray, the star in this game, Kazman. Woo! Uh, round three, Kevin Murray again sensational in a loss to the Ruse, but uh, Gary Lazarus kicked six, including the Lions' first four of the game. Then they had another strong win in round four over the Dogs, leading from pillar to post. Uh, John Newham kicked 4-4, and Murphy and Murray dominated as a 1-2 hit in the middle for the Lions. Then Doug Searle crossed from Collingwood mid-season, making his debut in a loss to Collingwood. Oh, that hurts. (laughs) Then the Lions suffered a nine-game losing streak, not winning again until round 14. Murray and Murphy again leading the way in this game, which was a 27-point win over the Ruse. Round 15, they made it back-to-back wins beating the Dogs again despite not scoring at all in the first quarter. They trailed by 27 points at three-quarter time but had the wind in the last and made use of it. They didn't allow the Dogs to score at all while they added five goals two to win by five points, which spoiled Ted Witten's 35th birthday party. You're making them sound so good. I know. Um, this was win number 87 on Peter Carter's list of Fitzroy's best wins. Um, also their final win of the season. Um, an interesting note, though, all of the Lions' wins were very similar this season in that they started well... Um, but then tended to fall apart. And just hold on. Yeah. Apart sorry. They started well, then tended to win... Sorry. In an interesting side note, all the Lions' wins were very similar this season. Um, if they started well, they tended to win, apart from that final win over the Dogs. They were, the, the wins they had, they, they led from pillar to post. Yes, yeah. I see. Okay. Um, they lost their final game by 10 points to Hawthorne, but new clubman Doug Searle kicked nine goals for the Lions, the most by any Lions since Jack Moriarty in the 20s. Really? Yeah. Uh, end of the season report described the season as disappointing, but at least they could boast some young stars on the rise. You can see why you want Kevin Murray as your favourite player of all time. So in 68, Fitzroy's best and fairest was shared between Kevin Murray and John Murphy, uh, John Murphy being also their leading goal kicker with... Only 20. He's a midfielder. Yeah, well. Not, not Gary Lazarus, that's disappointing. Kevin Murray's a walk-up. No! Front. In 10th place, Footscray with 5 wins, 15 losses. Their percentage, 82.6. Charlie. Yes, so Footscray, captained again by Mr. Football T. Witten, coached by Charlie Sutton for a second year, back, back in charge. <laughs> Indeed. Recruitment zone was. Uh, they could recruit from Gippsland Football League and Latrobe Valley Football League. Yeah. Uh, some debutants have got Graham Bean. Hello. <laughs> um, also, <laughs> David Darcy has returned from South Australia and Stuart McGee has crossed from South Melbourne. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, a new grandstand was in the process of being built in 68 with the aim of seating around 2,500 people, which would help, which I think is actually still there. 
Um, now, Charlie Sutton, their coach, preached fast-moving direct football, but he didn't really have the cattle to pull this off. Uh, As a result, they yeah. lost their opening five games. Fair enough. Well, it's an ageing list down at Footscray now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, their first best player is 35. You're in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> their first win was round six, playing the Demons on their home deck, a five-goal-to-one second quarter, proving the difference as the Dogs won by 37. New recruit Stuart McGee led the disposals with 29 and a goal, while Ch- Teddy Whitten chipping in with three of his own. Then it was another five losses. Round 12, they finally got back on the winner's list with a win over the Roos, leading all day. Ricky Spargo with three, their first win at Arden Street since 1960. Say that name again. <laughs> Ricky Spargo. <laughs> now, round 13, Sorry. they absolutely demolished the it's Cats. a bit longer. They played 100 minutes of pressure football, capped off with high marks and accurate forwards. They kicked 7-4-1-1 in the opening term to set the tone as Gary Dempsey led the Dogs to an 83-point thumping. Then, round 16 was another surprise win, taking down the second-place Blues. They held the Blues to two goals for the first half, the final margin at 32. Uh, George Bissett and Teddy Whitten helping themselves to four each. So, I mean, Teddy Whitten's still got a bit of string in his legs. does. Their final win was round 19 over the Swans, uh, with ex-Swan Stuart McGee shutting down Swan star Peter Bedford and helped himself to 30 disposals and a goal to see the Doggies home by four points. Um, now, this is my favourite story. Going into the final round, Teddy Whitten was preparing for his 300th game. They had ordered celebrations, they'd got a cake, and then they got a call during the week from a, a Doggies fan. He's like, um... Actually, I've gone back through the records and he's only played 298 games. <laughs> so his 300th won't be till next year. Oh, you're oh, kidding. Kidding. No. So he played his 299th game against Essendon in round 20, the final game of the season. Which the biggest celebration of 299's ever had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the end of the season, Charlie Sutton decided the demands of coaching were too much. Uh, clashing with his business of running a hotel in Yarraville, so he handed in the reins mm-hmm. again to uh, Teddy Wynn, which we've seen happen before. Yes, yeah, exactly. History repeating. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, best and fairest winner, could could it be... No, it, it was uh, David Thorpe this year. Oh, I good. thought it was going to be Teddy Wynn again. So, yeah, David Thorpe, but Teddy Wynn was our lead goal kicker this year with 36. Great. In ninth place, South Melbourne, six wins, one draw, thirteen losses, percentage eighty three point nine. Oh, no captain. Oh, didn't make first. So yeah, captain by Bob Skilton, coached by Alan Miller, and they could recruit from Riverina Football League. That's Great. A um, now this is this is episode. This part of South Melbourne is pretty much the Bob Skilton show. Yeah, yeah. he is mm. unbelievable this season. Um, Even more so. Some debutantes we've got Richard Luke, John Luscombe, and Ross Alwyn. Another one called Peter Bedford. Kaz, can you tell us a little bit about Peter Bedford? Peter Wheels Bedford. South Melbourne, 178 games, 325 goals, played for Carlton as well. An immensely talented sentiment or half forward. Bedford won the 1970 Brownlow medal. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kaz. Sorry. All right. (laughs) Um, Max Papley left to captain coach Williamstown, crossing without a permit. Thus, his photo was turned on the wall. Oh! We've oh. <laughs> seen that happen a few mm-hmm. times. Not at, Sorry, yeah, not at South Melbourne. No, no, they weren't happy. Um, Swans went into their opening match against St Kilda very cocky for some reason. Um, they suggested that their player, Graham John, would be the bogey player for the Saints. And the Saints, <laughs> the Swans were right to be cocky as they led from start to finish to beat the Saints by 25. 
Bob Skilton, really their bogeyman, though. He had 41 disposals and kicked seven goals one. Oh, he's still got it. Uh, when Skilton kicked the last goal of the match, the South fans rushed the ground thinking the game was over. Umpires and police had to clear them off in the last two minutes. Peter Bedford made his debut against the Hawks in round two and played a blinder. Skilton was knocked out in the opening quarter by Dennis Jack- Jenkins. Uh, his concussion test was getting him to read the scoreboard. Luckily, he'd actually just looked before he got knocked out, so he actually remembered it. He passed and played on. He managed 25 disposals and kicked five goals. <laughs> the Swans rallied from 34 points down at three-quarter time, led by Skilton, and when Peter Bedford kicked the last of his four goals, the game ended in a draw. Mm. Then they fell in a hole. They lost the next four games and sat 10th on the ladder. And then they started a mini revival. <laughs> Starting with round seven, a low-scoring win over North by four points. Skilton with 35 disposals and three goals won, followed by a 13-point win over the Dogs. And then a courageous victory over Collingwood at Lakeside Oval. The Swans kicked six goals to one in the final quarter to win by 25 points. Skilton was lion-hearted. Graham Jacobs, John Suttles, and Ian Davidson kicked four goals each. They had another come-from-behind win over the Lions by 27, and their only win in the last nine games was against the Demons by 10 points. In the final game against Collingwood, the Pies won, uh, but in this game, Bob Skilton received two black eyes, which are on display in a famous photo, yes. um, which we'll put up on our socials. But look, let's, let's talk about Skilton for a sec. He played 15 of 17 games for a total of 35 goals, 17, and an average of 32 disposals a game. Yeah, That is ridiculous. He's unbelievable. I, uh, you yeah. talk about Kevin Murray. I mean, no, I, I was questioning myself. I, I think I think yeah. I'm, I'm Skelton. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He's playing on with broken noses, black eyes. He's getting beaten, patched up. Yeah, it's so, unbelievable. Funnily enough, he won the Bob Skelton. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't be surprised ninth. if he's the leading goal kicker. Either. He's ninth, and yeah. he was he missed out to John Suttles by one. Oh. Suttles mm. kicked thirty six. He kicked thirty five. So you said he played how many games? Fifteen. Seventeen. It's fifteen or seventeen. Yeah. So he kicked, he averaged more than two goals a game and 32 disposals. As a midfielder. As a midfielder. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I uh, can't wait to hear more about it. In eighth place, Melbourne, eight wins, 12 losses, and percentage 83.9, equaling South Melbourne. So the D's this year, captained by Hassaman again and coached by Johnny Beckwith taking over, mm-hmm. filling those big shoes that Norm Smith has left open. Mm hmm. And they could recruit from Goulburn Valley and Riddell District Football Leagues. Right. Some debutants. We've got Daryl Schwartz, Ray Biffin, Ewan Campbell, Peter Weeks, Greg Parks and George Lakes. Life without Norm Smith started uh, with, Norm, with Norm unsuccessfully attempting to get onto the board. Oh. Uh, but he was blocked by four members, so he left for good. He cracked it. Yeah. So much so that his son, Peter Smith, also quit in support of his dad. Oh. What a slap in the face. Mm. Uh, round one, John Beckwith's official coaching debut started peri- perilously against the Lions, who scored five goals one before the Demons even thought about scoring. Um, but the D stormed back. The two sides traded blows for most of the game. Fitzroy dominant around the ground, but were unable to breach the back line of Rowett, Johnson and Feldman, uh, who did enough to put a winning score on the board for the Demons, who won by four points. Then round three, they beat the South by ten. Ross Dillon at full forward, kicking four goals seven. Still trying to fill that gap at full forward. Yeah. The D's, it's going to be a while before they find anyone. Absolutely. Round four, North Melbourne were the dominant side for most of the day before the Demons charged back. North's defence held firm until the last quarter when they finally cracked under an avalanche of attack led by Brian Dixon, Stan Alves and Jeff Witten. Twice in the final minutes, the scores were level. Then Ross Dillon took a diving mark and found himself 35 yards from goal with scores level. 
Um, not a reliable kick, but in this one he needed a, a point would do to win. Hey, but he kicked his fifth goal. Hey. A few minutes later, the siren went. The D's had beaten North Melbourne. Because <laughs> the D's had beaten North Melbourne. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good feeling. <laughs> Round seven, they kicked five goals, two to nothing in the last turn to come from behind and smack the Hawks. Four of the goals came in the last eight minutes of the match. The winner came from a deliberate out-of-bounds call. In, then saw Brian Dixon pass to the pack of D's, where, Bur, uh, where Barry Vag snapped the winner mere seconds before the final siren. They snapped an unlikely four-point win. And the Demons were beginning to make a bit of a habit of late bursts to win games. They did so again against Collingwood at Victoria Park, their first win there since 62. John Townsend kicked two last quarter goals, and Graham Osborne kicked the winner from a snap to give the D's a one-point, uh, no, one-goal win. And you can actually watch footage of this last quarter on YouTube. Cool. Round 12 with first game, uh, George Lakes starting against the Lions. The Demons won thanks to its midfielders and Rovers. Um, after going to quarter time with a slight deficit, they took the lead by halftime and never surrendered it. Round 15 again against the Roos, this time at Arden Street. The Demons couldn't score into the gale in the first quarter. In an attempt, so after the quarter time, um, North Melbourne's coach Keith McKenty put 17 of his 18 players into defence to stop tactically it. stop the Ds from scoring. And it seemed to work as both teams added two goals. Uh, but, but John Beckwith refused to get sucked into this kind of yeah. play. Um, and the defensive game that Melbourne was playing was rewarded with three goals, all to Stan Elves, into the wind in the third quarter. Which then saw the Ds kind of take the, take the advantage. The Roos tried the same tactic in the final quarter of flooding the defence. Um, and the Ds only scored one goal, but the Roos didn't score at all, and the Ds won by two points. <laughs> Round well, seven. How, how, how could the Ruse score? Like one player in the forward line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, basically that's what we play now. Yes. Like that heavy flood of the the, the rush back. But everyone ball. is moving around the ball. Yes. Not, yeah. yeah. It would not be fun to watch. No. Round seventeen. Hassaman Dixon and Tazzy Johnson uh, formed a solid trio as the Demons earned a four-point win against the Dogs. Round 18, the loss to Hawthorne was Brian Dixon's 250th league game. Um, at the time, only 13 other players had reached that milestone. Mm. It was a loss to the Hawks, and they lost their last two to end the season. But some very close wins there by the Ds as well. Yeah. Mm. That's the durability of Dixon. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few guys in there you still, you know, this, that are still part of that 64 premiership side. It's yeah, they're really the carrying top. the team. Yeah. Very interesting when we start lo- they start falling off. <laughs> so uh, the 1968 uh, Keith Bluey Truscott Award uh, was won by Ray Groom, Tazzy Johnson coming in second there, and uh, top goal scorer was the captain Hassaman with 29. Barry Vag just behind him. Mm. Arch rivals Collingwood in seventh place. <laughs> yeah. Nine wins, eleven losses. Their percentage 94.5 and. I'm sorry, Moz, but and everyone out there listening, we we, we did enjoy Moz reading the the ladder, didn't we? I, yeah, no, but because of COVID. Yeah, I've got plenty to gabble about. <laughs> Don't even worry. Absolutely. I think we should put a poll, Moz, for. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know who win. So, <laughs> not much changing down at the pies. Captain again by Des Tudnam, coached again by Bobby Rose. And they could recruit from the Western Border Football League. Right. Some debutants were Dennis Legarrick, Dennis O'Callaghan, Bernie Brady, Gary Magali, and John Greening. Can you tell us a bit about John Greening? It's the only catches uh, I don't have too much warning about which one is from which team. Sorry. We'll get Banjo onto that next one. Did you say Greening? Yes. 
John Greening. Okay. Oh, cool. So, John Greening, 107 games, 70 goals. Uh, a flamboyant, classy rock rover and full forward for Tasmanian club Bernie. Uh, he ran close to the ground and had great ball handling skills and possessed the rare balance that enabled him to take a spectacular mark. Great. Um, so... If you remember the end of the last season, Des Tuttenham was suspended for four games for striking in the yes. finals. Mm. So it's no surprise then that Collingwood lost their first four games without their captain. Oh. Uh, he returned from suspension in round five and had 32 disposals, kicked two goals, two as the Pies won their first game of the season against the Hawks. Feeling nice pretty comeback. good to be back in the side. Yes, yeah. yeah. the difference. Uh, then round six, they toppled a previously undefeated Essendon by 26 points at Victoria Park. More proof of the Pies' innate ability to rise for big games. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, which I hate. <laughs> Doug, <laughs> Doug Searle kicked four of the Pies' six goals in the opening term. Jenkins did well on the ruck and uh, John Greening uh, was doing well on the wing as well. Round 12, the Pies started well with six goals to two, but the Tigers hit back to lead at halftime. In the third quarter, Peter McKenna kicked four of the Pies' five goals. Despite his efforts, the Tigers were 15 points ahead at the last break. But the Pies were able to peg the lead back when McKenna kicked his sixth goal. Uh, he put the Pies two points ahead. Another point gave them a three-point win over the reigning Premier. Round 14, the Pies won at Moorabbin for the first time. And I believe their first uh, win against St Kilda at, a home, at St Kilda's home ground for 12 seasons. After the Saints led by 26 points at one point in the second quarter, the scores were level at halftime before the Pies ran away to win by nine points. Len Thompson was able to get on top of Ditterich and Ted Potter kept Baldock quiet. Tom Sheeran, president of the Pies, said they fought back as well as any of the Collingwood's great teams of the past. Which is, uh, they're big words. Yeah, it's huge. In round 16, Des Tudnam was reported and suspended for striking Hawks ruckman Neil Ferguson. Uh, he was given four weeks, um, so adding that to the four weeks he started the season with, he's also had four weeks now to finish the season with. Oh, a nice bookend. Yeah, yeah it, really, it really has. Uh, that game was lost as well by 25 points. Um, so they were without Tudnam for the last four games. In round 17, in a loss to the Bombers, Peter McKenna kicked six of the team's seven goals, including three in the opening quarter. But then uh, Peter McKenna really rose to the top in round 20. They finished with a huge win over the Swans, kicking 23 goals, 19, 157. Their highest ever score against the Swans, Peter McKenna kicked 11 goals, 2. All wow. his goals coming after quarter time. Hmm. 11 so, goals in three quarters yes. of footy. Wow. That is correct, sir. Love it. Well, it won't surprise you to know that he was their high leading yeah. goal kicker with 64. Hmm. Uh, more than... Uh, 37 more than the second highest, Wayne Richardson. <laughs> and the Copeland tr- Trophy winner in 68 was Len Thompson for yeah. the second year in a row. Right. In sixth place, Hawthorne with nine wins, one draw, ten losses. Their percentage, 103.5. Yes, so Hawthorne, captained by Graham Arthur, coached by Big Jack Kennedy. And they could recruit from morning, the Mornington Peninsula and West Gippsland Football Leagues. Yeah, that was a bit controversial as well because St Kilda mm. thought they had that recruiting zone. Right, and they seem like quite big yeah, well, zones I mean, it's too. Kind of St Kilda, it's an extension of St Kilda and Bayside, isn't it? Yeah, yeah really. And the amount of champions Hawthorne got from there. Mm. Yes. I, mean, I think starting with Lee Matthews in 69 is a... You know. I would have really thought that uh, Melbourne should have the Here's a great debutante for you, Kaz. Yeah. Roachford Dervinish Mears. <laughs> Very classic. Yes. Look, it looked like another long season at Hawthorne after they were humbled by Essendon and Windy Hill in the opening round to the tune of 73 points. However... Oh. 
Peter Hudson kicked 10 goals, one of the team's 15 goals. <laughs> In round two, the Hawks managed a remarkable draw, going to sleep at three-quarter time after holding a sizable lead against South Melbourne. Hudson with eight. Um, he made it 26 goals, actually, Hudson, from three games, with another eight in an 11-point win over Footscray in round three. But then the Hawks' season was gone. They had five straight losses. Across those five games, Hudson kicked two, four, one, three, and three. Round eight, they had a very controversial loss to Richmond, which we'll talk about with when we get to Richmond. Yeah, yeah. In round nine, Hudson added another 10 to pass the 50-goal 50, 50 mark, less than halfway through the season, <laughs> and helped the Hawks to a 30-point win over Fitzroy. He had another eight in round 10, um, with the Hawks having a 44-point win over North. The side lost its next two games to top four sides and killed it by 10. Hudson kicked six. Essen them by 29. Hudson unavailable due to state duties. Before embarking on a four-game winning streak. After kicking five in the Hawks' seven... Uh, sorry. After kicking five in the Hawks' 19-point win over South at Lakeside Oval, Hudson booted the club record 12 goals two against Footscray in an 82-point thumping of the Doggies at Glen Ferry. The winning margin was also a club record, topping the 72 points against North Melbourne in 1940. In round 15, the Hawks, with Hudson bagging seven, knocked off eventual Premier's Carlton at Princes Park by 13. And then, the big one, round 16, Glen Ferry Oval against Collingwood. Peter Hudson becomes the first Hawk to kick the ton. Hey. Reaching goal number 100 with his fourth goal of the first quarter. The first player since John Coleman to do so in 1952. This milestone was celebrated only after the game had finished. The Hawks' 25-point victors, uh, the rejoicing players, formed the guard of honour that held back the cheering fans and allowed Hudson to walk from the ground unimpeded. Oh, magnificent. Yep. For the last four games, the Hawks went win-lose, sorry, lose-win-lose-win, Hudson adding six and eight goals in the two wins over Melbourne and Fitzroy. He finished the season with 125 goals from 19 games, winning the Coleman medal and kicking 45% of the Hawks' goals, still the highest ever percentage. 45% percent of <laughs> yeah. the goals. That is incredible. I mean, look, the Hawks had other star players this year, but it's really the Peter Hudson yeah. show, isn't it? Yeah. But surprisingly, he wasn't their highest goal. No. Yeah. <laughs> of course he was. And he also, of course, won the Peter Crimmins medal this year. Who else could it be? So, Richmond in fifth place, um, with two games separating first and fifth, um, they're on 14 wins and six losses, and their percentage is 123, just outside the four, sorry, Richmond. Yes, so Richmond this year, captained by Roger Dean and coached by Tommy Hafey. And they could recruit from Sunraysia Football League. Did you pronounce it like that? Sunraysia, yeah. Sunraysia. Sunraysia. Yeah. Yep. Write us in Neil Jarrett. <laughs> some, uh, some debutantes they've got. Uh, Wayne Walsh, the Tigers' first Indigenous star, Derek Pearden, that we talked about now, our yes. Week special. Mm-hmm. And the player you might have heard of called Rex Hunt. Oh. May I? Thank you, Tim. Um, Rex Hunt, 113 games, 121 goals um, for that particular, for Richmond, and plenty of other <laughs> stats here for other teams. Um, a tall, strongly built left footer from Parkdale, who was a fine mark. And often erratic kick, he began uh, as a key forward, playing either centre-half forward or full forward, depending on where Richmond used Royce Hart. And we're going to hear a little bit more about Rex Hunt. Mm. <laughs> right, round one, the Tigers trailed Collingwood by two goals at half-time at Victoria Park, but piled on seven goals to nothing in the third to take control, running out 16-point winners. Billy Brown and Bartlett were the heroes there. 
Um, round two, Carlton and Rick played Richmond. 13 players in this game would go on to coach at least one VFL game. Wow. Yeah. What? Yes. That's unbelievable. Um, then they had two losses, which was a bit uncharacteristic, uh, especially these are uh, the reigning premiers. Um, now, mix things up. Um, with the Tigers riding high on two big wins over last year's finalists, both the Cats and Saints brought them back down to earth. Rex Hunt turned in a fine game in round six against the Roos, posting five goals, five in only his second game as the Tigers thumped the Roos. In round seven, the match with Essendon was quite controversial. Richmond lost by two points with two goals disputed by players. One for each team, actually. Round eight's the game you want to hear about, though. Tigers and the Hawks. Uh, the Tigers led by three points at half-time, but outscored their opponents five goals to one in the third to take a seemingly match-winning 27-point lead at the final change. But Hawthorne staged a stirring comeback and leveled the scores deep into time on in the last quarter. For the next couple of minutes, both sides tried desperately to break the deadlock, but the final siren signaled a draw, 11 goals, 14 apiece. Or so we thought. Ooh. Tigers fans left the ground disappointed with a draw. <laughs> the Hawks went into the rooms and led by David Park, and they started singing the, the song. But? Then, an official... Ca uh, sorry, it, during this time, um, it was discovered that Hawthorne had been wrongly credited with a point by the operators of the main scoreboard. This error was made at about 13 minutes of play into the last quarter and was perpetrated until the end of the match. After the game, the two goal umpires conferred in the centre. Um, they walked over to the scoreboard, they fixed up the scoreboard, and then they had to go and tell the Hawks to stop singing the song. Firstly, you've drawn. You don't sing a song when you've had a draw. <laughs> and secondly, you've actually lost. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I've never heard this happen before. Yeah. Round nine, against the future team he would coach, Melbourne. Dashing half forward, John Northey kicks eight goals, three, including four in the second quarter. Richmond beat them by 56 points. The Tigers had good solid wins over the Lions and Dogs, but then they lost close ones to the Pies by three, in which Paddy Gwinane kicked eight goals, three. They lost to Carlton by a goal. And then in round 14, Geelong beat them, which meant finals was going to be really hard. They needed to win all their others and rely on other teams to lose. Which is never a good position No. And look, they won their final six games, but to no avail. They finished half a game outside the four uh, by, yeah, half a game and percentage. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as you're relying on other things going your way, you're in a lot of strife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Richmond's leading goal kicker was Paddy Gwinane with 41, and the Jack Dyer medal this year went to Kevin Bartlett for the second year in a row. Mm -hmm. Great. So, Jimmy, we're about to talk about the finalists, which means something else has to come the, first, the, right? We're going to talk about the night series. Yes, the Golden Fleece. The Golden yeah, it still Fleece. is the Golden Fleece <laughs> night series oh, in amazing. 1968. The sponsor. It's a sponsor. Oh, I love that. The, the winner doesn't get a Golden Fleece. Oh, yeah, yeah. that legend. We think they should, but they don't. <laughs> uh, so, again, for the teams who uh, did not make it into the finals, they get to have their finals. Hmm. A follow-up finals. So, uh, here are our games in the first first rounds we've got Collingwood playing Fitzroy uh, in a bit of an up and down affair Collingwood ran out winners uh, then we had Hawthorne versus Melbourne Hawthorne winning by five points squeaking it away uh, North Melbourne defeated South Melbourne in a very high scoring game 127 to 115 <laughs> and Richmond beating Footscray by a single point 15-15 to 16-8 very so are we close. liking this series? It's yeah. good. It's great. We love it. Awesome. And uh, the other the other thing we talk about 
is it's held in South Melbourne at yeah. Lakeside Oval on like Wednesday, Thursday nights. Yeah, it's, oh. yeah, Tuesdays if this was and Thursdays, in September, of course. If this was still on, we'd be there every oh, Thursday, Wednesday, exactly. Thursday night. Absolutely. Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's no, great Tuesdays, times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that moves us on to the semi finals between uh, Collingwood and Hawthorne. Uh, and uh, Hawthorne running out very comfortable winners here uh, by 30 points. And North Melbourne beating Richmond by 30 points as well. So that Whoa. takes us to the grandest of night finals. <laughs> On a Wednesday night, uh, Hawthorne versus North, uh, North Melbourne. Uh, North Melbourne got the jump on Hawthorne early, but at halftime it was basically all done and dusted. Hawthorne kicking seven goals in the second quarter to North Melbourne's two points. So uh, they were 40 points, about 40 points ahead at the half and ran out 61-point winners. 16, 15, 111 to North Melbourne's 6, 14, 50. The important question, how many goals did Hudson kick? Hutto kicked. He he was uh, the highest scorer for it. So he kicked seven goals against Collingwood, uh, eight goals in the final. Uh, So he kicked 18 goals in the Hawks' three matches, which equals the record set by Freddie Goldsmith uh, in the 1958 series. So he's kicked 40, 143 goals for the season, <laughs> for plus, the night, season. plus night game. Uh, there was a little interesting one here, though. So uh, Peter McKenna apparently kicked, nine t- uh, kicked 10 goals in the series opener against Fitzroy, which equaled the Peter Schofield's record set in 59 for the most goals in a night series match. But the record has him kicking nine for the game. So... Throughout this whole time, they said that McKenna fell one short, but then in the 90s, McKenna's total started appearing as 10, not 9 again. So we're still not 100% sure whether it was 10 or 9. Interesting. It says that it's 10. Okay. So, yeah. Mm. Very interesting. So Hawthorne uh, have now a trophy in the cabinet. Next to their 1961 VFL Premiership. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Another, a second Premiership. (laughs) And North made it to a final. Yes, they did. Well done, North. (laughs) Surprising it wasn't Richmond who were in fifth place. In fourth place, uh, with 14 wins as well as Richmond, but their percentage, uh, 136. St Kilda in the finals. Yes, so that, that, that draw... Yes. Got them in there. So uh, nothing changing down at the Saints, coached by Big Jeansy, captained by Doc Baldock. And recruiting from Ballarat Football League. Not the Mornington Peninsula. No. (laughs) Poor guys. All right, some debutants. We've got Neil Basanko, Gary Colling, the Pasco brothers, Bob and Barry, crossing from North Melbourne as well. I'm Barry Basco. Bob and Barry (laughs) Basco. From Pasco brothers. Um... Following a shock loss to the Swans in round one, Premiership hero Ian Sinman was dropped after playing 123 consecutive games. Round two was Daryl Baldock's 100th game for the club, which was against the Demons, the Swans, sorry, the Saints winning by 56 points. Ross Smith in his sparkling debut, uh, Brownlow form again. Round three, the Saints embarrassed Collingwood, holding them to two goals, 19 for the game while beating them by six goals, their lowest goal tally since 1946. Ditterich was a force in the ruck in this game. However, Verdon Howe was dropped from the side following the game, never to play a senior game for the Saints again. Oh, really? Yeah, I think uh, Jeansy, old Yabby's been a bit, you know, tough with his players now. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you don't want to rest on one premiership, do you? No. When you've got a few stars in there. Well, they've got a lot of stars yeah. in there. 
Round five, the Pasco brothers returned to Arden Street with their new team, the Saints, and they beat the Roos, but the crowd let the boys know how they felt. Capped off with a woman attacking Barry with an umbrella after the game. We <laughs> <laughs> haven't had that for a while, have we? No. Round eight, the Saints hit peak form in a win over the Bombers, their opening quarter described by Alf Brown as one of the most devastating he'd seen. The Saints kicked eight goals seven to nothing, and they ran out 56-point winners. Round nine, in the four-goal loss to Geelong, um, during the third quarter, Bob Pascoe was reported for kicking John Sharrock of Geelong. He pleaded, I didn't kick him. He got knocked over and the ball was coming. I was following it and I ran over his stomach. Oh. Boundary umpire Ray Frost reported Pascoe for standing over on Sharrock's stomach and kicking him in the ribs. The tribunal thought, likewise, uh, it took 20 minutes to find him guilty and suspended him for 11 weeks. Fair <laughs> enough. the rest of the season. 11 weeks a long time. Yeah, unless they made the grand final. Mm. Round 10, things got worse, as they could only manage three goals and a loss to the Blues. Uh, the next game, John O'Donnell matched Peter Hudson with six goals of his own as the Saints beat the Hawks before Daryl Bullock hit form against the Swans with 34 disposals and two goals in a 64-point win. Ian Stewart impressed in a closer-than-comfort five-point win over the Dees, who had kicked a goal right on the siren, so the score kind of flattered them a bit. Back-to-back losses put their finals chances in jeopardy. They didn't drop a game in the last five rounds, but round 19, they did squander quite a lead against the Bombers to end up in a draw, but it wasn't a loss. Uh, they were in fourth spot heading into the last last round, but needed to beat Geelong, who was second on the ladder, to stitch up a finals berth. They had the Tigers nipping at their heels, and were, you know, Geelong was expected to win. But St Kilda showed its intent from the opening bounce and looked hell-bent on winning the vital crap, vital clash. Barry Breen raced away from his Geelong defender, Jeff Rosenow, and after taking a couple of bounces along the boundary line, he hooked back a stunning goal on the run to open their account. Carl Ditterich was dominant in this game. Uh, the Saints were 23 points up at half-time. Cowboy Neil, Barry Breen and John O'Donnell were unstoppable in attack. And the Cats just couldn't get close. Uh, by the third quarter, the lead blew out to 37. And then they ran away in the last quarter, kicking five goals to one to comprehensively thrash the visitors by 51 points. Mm -hmm. Saints are in finals again. Yes. Where they belong. Said no one. At the moment. (laughs) They belong there at the moment. The side they've got, yes. Oh, yeah. So, uh, the Saints this year, uh, leading goal kicker was Cowboy Neal with 32. And the best and fairest went to uh, Carl Dederich for the first time. Yeah, he had a big season. Yeah. Third place, Geelong with 15 wins, one more than St Kilda. Their percentage, 106 point heads. Yes, co- coached by Peter Pianto and captained by Bill Goggin. Taken over from Polly. Taken over from Polly Farmer, yes. And they could recruit from a few leagues, the Geelong and District Football League, the Murray Football League, and the Mid-Murray Football League. Even imagine if someone else got the Geelong and <laughs> yeah. um, They had a debutante, Phil Smith. No, not to read about. But okay. yeah. um, after a poor start, they won in round two over the Dogs by four goals. Goggin leading by example as the new captain. This win kicked off a nine-game winning streak. Round three, the Cats gave Richmond their first loss since round 12, 1967, with a comprehensive eight-goal thumping revenge at the MCG. The Cats' superior pace, their backing up and their ability to match, if not outdo Richmond in physical exchanges, turned the game. In round six, their 11-point win over Hawthorne was played at Glenferry Oval in a ground resembling a Yorkshire pudding with two huge patches of gravy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Geelong, in round 10, played only one good quarter against the Swans, kicking seven goals, five in the second quarter, but this was enough to earn them the win by five goals. Dennis Marshall and Gareth Andrews, the chief architects in this win. Round 15, Peter Pianto, the coach, was ill and couldn't coach against the Pies. So assistant John O'Neill took the reins. And the Cats' defence held firm in this game. They held the Pies to four goals. Those four goals all happened in a six-minute burst in the second quarter. So other than that, the Pies had three goalless quarters. Ooh, Oof. that hurts. Pretty good for a standing coach. Yeah. Uh, in round 17, Geelong's Bill Ryan was the star against the Hawks, taking 22 marks and credited with 31 kicks, helping the Cats to a 16-point win. The other part of this game was their tactic in strangling the supply to Peter Hudson. Cats fullback Hugh Strahan, Strahan contested everything with him. And I feel like we haven't had that for a while, but this should be called Bill Ryan's game. He's got 22 marks and 31 kicks. Yeah. Bill Ryan's game. Whoa. Ryan's game. Yeah. Uh, round 18, the Cats beat a persistent Fitzroy, and I thought you might like the way the lines were describing this. The Fitzroy team was akin to the 823 tram from Flinders Street. Uh, at time, it was a side that stopped and started, occasionally put on an express run, and usually had lots of passengers. <laughs> <laughs> a final round loss to St Kilda saw them lose the double chance and fall from second down to third. A disappointing Killer. end. Yes, so lead goal kicker was Dougie Wade with 64. Uh, best and fairest for the Cats this year was uh, John Sammy Newman. Nice. I didn't even mention uh, Doug Wade, did I? No. Mm. Didn't hear him. Or John. Or John Newman, no. Oh. Okay. The Mighty Carlton in second place this year with 15 wins, 5 losses, and their percentage 130.4. Yes. Uh, so, of course, captain coached by uh, RDB, Ronald Dale. <laughs> 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 Who else could it be? <laughs> And they could recruit from Bendigo Football League. Yeah, very strong league, that one. Now we've got a few big names here debuting. Uh, we've got Peter Smith crossing from Melbourne, Norm Smith's son, of course. Yeah. Uh, obviously being good friends with Barassi, who yeah. had grown up with Barassi. Yes. Yeah. We've also got Sid Jackson, who was with Carlton for 68, who'd crossed from East, per- East Perth, but they refused to clear him, so he couldn't actually play. Mm. But he was with them all season. We've got two other big names, uh, Brent Crosswell and Ted Hopkins. Yes, Tim, thank you. Crosswell played for Carlton, North Melbourne and Melbourne um, for a various number of games. One of the most flamboyant footballers of the modern era, Croswell originally recruited from Tasmanian club Campbelltown, and he uh, won the best in Ferris in 1968. There you go. His nickname was Tiger. Oh. And Ooh, Ted Hopkins is the other one. Sorry. It's okay. Hopper. Edward Ted Hopkins, the mop topped blonde Grover <laughs> will be remembered forever for his match winning four goals in the 1970 grand final when he swung the game at after half time so that was 29 games and 10 goals Edward Hopkins alright round one was a first up win over the Cats as they opened their new social club round two and three were best forgotten actually <laughs> but, but, and it's round three was a loss to the Bombers we'll talk about that when we get to the Bombers but round four after they had copped the wrath of RDB um, during the week, they came out hungry against the Hawks, kicking seven goals, three, including a 60-metre bomb by Silvani to start proceedings. They ran out 23-point winners. They kicked off a run of 10 straight wins. Jezelenko was brilliant in their next win over the Dogs. Brian Kekovic, Sam's older brother, was hitting form as well. He kicked six against the Dogs and five a week later in a win over the Swans, and then five in a win over the Pies. Jezza kicked 10 across two wins, which were against the Pies and the Lions and the Roos. The tactic of swapping Kekovic and Jezza worked wonders for the team as he kicked six and Kekovic four. 
one more than his younger brother Sam who kicked three in that game <laughs> round 11 Big Nick dominated the Demons they, uh, then round 13 they were pushed by Richmond who had beaten them at the last seven times Carlton made better use of the ball in the forward line John Nichols more than held his own in the ruck and both he and James proved to be dangerous forwards Brent Crosswell outshone Dick Clay as the Blues held on to win by a goal um, and so Barassi had been in and out of the team and there'd be lots of speculation about was, it, was he going to retire is he going to keep playing um, and there seemed to be this thing that the team was better actually with Barassi off the field really so the, the first few games when they lost he was playing and then when, once he stepped out of the side when he was injured they actually played better and they won um, inconceivable I know I know I wonder what that comes down to um, more, more focus on as a coach or less yeah they were less reliant on him so they had to sort of share the load a bit better yeah really interesting so so after they yeah after they won 10 in a row um, they then dropped three the next three and sat fourth on the ladder with four rounds to go Um, round 16 was a loss to the dogs but this was Ron Barassi's 250th game like a few weeks before Brian Dixon's yeah round 17 the Swans made it a contest only a few points behind at half time but Carlton resumed the third, third quarter more determined and held south to one point for the quarter. They slammed on five goals, six themselves, and this proved to be the difference. They beat the Pies easily. Adrian Gallagher kicked seven in a win over the Lions. And finally, on the round twenty, the eve of the round 20 clash with North, Ron Barassi announced his retirement, although he secretly hoped he could play next year and was going to train. Um, also around this time, he received an unusual offer to ditch Aussie rules and play rugby on the Gold Coast. Hey! Um, We've only seen that happen the opposite way. No. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So Carlton won this game, but during this game, North Melbourne's uh, Keith, McK- Keith McKenzie made Brassy irate because they were both coaching from the the box using walkie-talkies to communicate, and McKenzie was jamming Brassy's uh, walkie-talkie, Single. so he, he couldn't get his signal down. And so after the game, he went up and he's like, I need you to tell me how your buddy did that. <laughs> Carlton won by 21 points, led by new captain John Nichols, your new old captain. Yeah. And another quirk of this season was every game Brian Kekovic won they played, if he missed, they lost. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It's oh, a good little quirk. Well, he was their lead goal kicker, Brian yeah. Kekovic, with 59. And uh, best and fairest down at Carlton this year was Serge Silvani. Yes. And finally, Essendon with 16 wins, one draw, three losses. Their percentage, 130.3. So, coached by Jack Clark, captained by Ken Fraser again. Uh, the Dons are on top of the ladder, Timmy. I, I, I thought you would have had a bigger grin on your face this entire time. Well, I know the result of the season. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where, where are the Bombers recruiting from? They're recruiting from Wimmera Football Wimmera, League. Great. Um, all right. So just before we get to the debutants there, Kaz, yeah, uh, Jack Clark beat out Bob Simon, Don McKenzie for the coaching job as well. Oh, and it's good he came back because he got dropped last season and kind of it was a bit of a half and a bit of an issue, but he made up with the club and he's quite loyal. Come back, yeah. So some debutants. We've got Vic Pap, Bob Greenwood, who is known for wearing a laced-up jumper, and two debutants, Paul Sproul and Jeff Bleffen. Bringing it back from like the early 1900s. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Kaz? <laughs> Jeff Bleffen um, was from St. Andrews and Coburg District League and was dis- a, dis- a bespeckled full forward who kicked plenty of goals in Essendon's under-19s. That's a little bit about him. And we've also got Paul Sproul, which uh, <coughs> we will say Essendon recruited Sproul from Hobart. And although he showed talent with the Bombers, he was cleared to Richmond where he became an exceptional centre utility. A little bit about both of them. Yeah, so Jeff Bleffham, he, he wore glasses for a lot of his games, very uh, well-renowned. Oh, I thought that um, he was freckly. 
Bespeckled. No, bespeckled. He's got spectacles. Spectacles. <laughs> <laughs> Round one, the Bombers smash the Hawks, kicking 26 goals, 16, 172 to oh. the Hawks, 15, 9, 99. To kick the biggest opening round score in the VFL history, beating their old their own record from 1982. Ian Anderson kicked seven and Paul Sproul five on debut. In round three, the Anzac Day match between Essendon and Carlton at Princess Park was greatly affected by an unusually strong wind that blew across the ground from wing to wing, making kicking and marking entirely unpredictable, and most balls were turning at right angles in the air. Um, it sounds like a horrible game. Neither team could score a goal in the opening half. <laughs> Essendon, uh, Essendon were able to adjust better, and they ended up winning 7-8-50 to Carlton's 1-11-17. <laughs> Carlton's lowest score since the sectional final in 1904. Ooh. So that then makes more sense why Barassi was so angry after round three. Yeah, yeah. it certainly does. In round five, they had a win over the Lions. They're fifth in a row to start the season, but then we know the Pies knocked them off. Yeah. Round seven, Essendon played Richmond at Windy Hill in a rain-sodden game. Richmond led at halftime, but kicked one goal nine in the third quarter as the Bombers edged in front. Um, in the... In the last quarter, a goal was awarded to Jeff Gosper, but several Richmond players thought the ball had hit the post, um, which kind of made up for the fact that in the third quarter, Kevin Bartlett supposedly kicked the goal that was touched. Okay. Um, Essendon won by two points, 80-78. Um, the game finished in such dark conditions that players couldn't see across the ground. <laughs> in round nine, they had a win against the, Don, the Dogs. Uh, this kick started a nine-game winning streak. Round 14, another slog against Carlton, which saw the Bombers only score one goal in the first half. A crowded game caused Carlton to kick 11 straight behinds across the second and third quarters while Essendon roared back to life in this game. With six goals to three in the second half, uh, the lead changed four times in the last quarter. Bruce Waite kicked a goal to give them a six-point win in the end. Thrilling. Round 17, the Bombers thrashed the Pies through hard work and discipline with an evenish first half. The Bombers then kicked seven goals, five to nothing in the third, then six goals to two to win by 85 points. Alan Noonan with five, their biggest ever win to this point against the Pies. Round 19, they had a draw with St Kilda in this game. Um, here's a good little story. Bruce Waite had a kick for goal and missed. Ball went completely out of bounds and was marked by a pie seller. Are you yeah. kidding? <laughs> he put, put the, put the trade, put his uh, stuff down, kicked the ball back perfectly, and then went back to selling his uh, his pies. Um, kicked it back I would to have Bruce loved and... if that story and, and that was like some famous player now. It's like, and that happened to me. Tim Watson. James Hurd. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Bruce Waite actually went back and kicked the goal as well that the pie boy gave him. Um, as for the game, the Saints controlled the first half before the Bombers came roaring back to life in the second half with Prime Minister John Gorton there as Essendon's guest. A win in the final round cemented their spot on top of the ladder for the first time since 1962. Hey, feeling good up there. Feeling good. The air's nice and clean up there. Uh, Alan Noonan, high, highest goal kicker for the Dons with 51. And uh, Barry Davis wins the... Uh, yeah. yeah. Good player, old Barry Davis. Quite a medal. There you go. Which gets us to Brownlow Download. The Brownlow Download. Live. Here we go. I've got a couple of excellent snippets from two fantastic books. Um, let me do this little one. The Sporting Globe, in its Wednesday edition, two days after the medal count, described Skilton in its front page headline as Mr. Brownlow. Side note, yes, you've heard correctly, Bob Skilton has won his third Brownlow this season. <laughs> Are we surprised? <laughs> <laughs> the newspaper reported that Skilton was unable to go to work the day after the Brownlow, not because of the celebrations, but because he had two black eyes and a severe headache courtesy of collisions in the Swans' two final matches against Footscray and Collingwood. 
Skilton was reported as saying, this is the best of the three. It's been worth all the pain. He also thanked his wife, Marion, for her support and keeping me going when I've been injured, which he was a lot. <laughs> the South champion had been in bed on the, on the night the votes were broadcast on radio after originally planning to be at a sports night at Pentridge Jail. And how did Skilton celebrate his third brown loan? He went into hospital to have a, an operation on his broken nose. <laughs> <laughs> Not, no one's surprised that Skilton won. No. no. Exactly. He was destined for it, for the third one. Um, I've got a lo- another little snippet here. Um, Bob Skilton. My last brown low, I was at home in bed. I had my nose broken in the second last game of the year. Then in the last game, I had a clash of heads with John Rantel. Rantel. Rantel, which smashed the nose again and opened up a gash over one eye. Then Len, Tom- Len Thompson opened up a gash over the other eye that also <laughs> needed stitches. When I won the Brownlow count, I got out of bed, got dressed, and went into TV ringside to be interviewed in the ring by Ron Casey. Case always said I looked such a wreck, I gave the fight game a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the famous photo too. We yeah. Talking about yeah. Before, so it went into... Yeah, it was ringside. So was it a festival hall? I think so. And um, there, it's a great photo. The dark, like he looks like his eyes are like. He looks like a boxer back in his head. Yeah, Yeah. he looks like he's just won a match. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I first saw that photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, so Cole's goals winner for this year as well was Hawthorne with 279 goals. Of course it was. Yeah, Yeah. 125 of those kicked by. uh, 40% 40, 40% of those kicked by Peter Hudson. Should have said, I should have said before, but I didn't. Was uh, Hawthorne's second highest goal kicker this, this year was Peter Crimmins with 27. <laughs> so, <laughs> 98 more. I mean, I'm looking at the goals here. Hudson only kicked 50 goals less than North Melbourne for the whole season. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, all right, finals. Yes. We're here with finals. We made it. Um, Interesting side note, all finals records are now produced as A4 publications ah, as of 68. As of 68, mm. okay. So it went to the A4 and then back. No. No, it stayed at A4. Oh, only finals. For finals, it's A4. Oh, sure. During the season? Still the little A2. Yeah. A3. A5. No, A5. 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 Yeah. Yeah, it goes up. It goes up. Yes. Goes. That's a different podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, the first semi final. The Charlie. first semi-final in front of 98,885 people. Did, didn't we? Between Geelong and St Kilda. Third versus fourth. Third versus fourth, yes. Who And these two teams just played the previous game. Yeah, so mm. coming straight back at it. Uh, and Geelong looked like they were coming out a bit what, stronger. Did we say the that. crowd? 98,885. So this is the first ever finals clash between these two teams. Oh. First ever? Really? Yeah. That's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, two... Um, Two heritage teams, two yeah. originals. I mean, St Kilda's. Well, yeah, maybe not, not that surprising. Finals, that's true. Um, Peter Pianto's tactics in this game were to exhaust Saint star Peter Carl uh, Diderich. So they had both Mitchell and Newman contesting hitouts with him, and he instructed his players not to kick the ball anywhere near him to, to blunt his aerial prowess. And thus, Geelong dominated from the outset and won by 44 points. Mm-hmm. Doug Wade kicked five goals, John Sherrick four. Barry Breen kicked four for the Saints, um, and their score of the Cats score of 1913-127 was their highest for the season. Wow! Yeah. Very smart play by Pianto there. Yeah, very tactical. I like it. Yeah, so winning by uh, 44 points, as you said. Mm. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, we talk about did they throw the game against the Kilda the week before they kicked Richmond out of the finals? Which, yeah, I mean that's Ooh. a that's a throwback to like a newer style of thinking, isn't mm. it? But very interesting. I mean, could they have actually done that? Like, did they? 
Well, they were favourites against Constance getting that last round, and they gave up the second the double chance. So you'd probably say no. You, yeah, no. If you're giving up the double chance, you're not throwing that no. game on purpose, are you? No. Oh. Um, which then takes us to the second semi, in front of 106,365 people. Essendon versus Carlton. First versus second. Carlton settled down earlier in the game. A uh, great snap by Gary Crean started them off. Kekovic collected Jezelenko as they both went for a mark and. This showed the desperation of the teams. Uh, Jezza was quite injured from this. The Blues kicked five goals to one to start the game. The Bombers' only goal came in time on. Barry Davis, after a slow start, had the better of Quirk in the second quarter and led the Dons with a great comeback. They added five goals four to take a three-point lead at halftime. Both teams deserved the thunderous applause as they left the ground for halftime. The Blues again blanketed the Bombers in the third quarter, taking control in the Premiership quarter, and in the last, the Blues' defence, led by Gould, held the Bombers to one goal and helped to add two of their own. Led brilliantly by John Nichols in the ruck, a fierce determination to win the ball, an attacking half-back line and a brilliant forward in Quirk. They beat the Dons at their own game and won by 36 points. Looking at that score, it seems like there might have been a mighty breeze to one end of the ground. I don't know. Because it was, you know... Yeah, the ebbs and flows. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. So that takes us then to the prelim. Essendon coming up against Geelong in front of 103,549 people. And this is about the fifth time Essendon and Geelong have played in the finals in the 60s. It is, isn't it? They just yeah. keep meeting. Um, a record prelim crowd showed up. 103,000 for a prelim. Huge. Um, it was a great exhibition of fast and open football with Essendon completely overrunning the Cats in the last in the second half. The Cats only scored one goal in the last 50 minutes as Essendon completely controlled the ruck. Uh, they, were cr- they were on top across the centre and had a winning forward line. All this after Ken Fraser and Greg Brown were subbed off with injuries. Um, with 11 goals, 25, the Bombers should have won by much more than 24 points with you know 15 more scoring shots. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, this game is the last finals win Essendon will have until 1983. And between then and now, 2021, Essendon have only had one coach win them finals. Kevin Sheedy. Kevin Sheedy. I mean, he won four flags. So. Yeah. I mean... People do bring this up from time to time that you've only had one coach who's won finals for yeah, you in fun. the last 50, 50 years. But, I mean, we've got four flags in that time. So yeah. I mean, it's a ridiculous argument. I like it, though, because it makes you sound worse than you are. Yeah. I know. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're forgetting the four flags and the multiple, like, all the finals wins he had, which was, like, pretty much two decades of finals. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he was in charge for such a long time. Yeah. It'd be like it'd be like people who are Man U supporters being like, oh, well, you only had, you've only had one successful coach. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, isn't the fact yeah. case. Yeah. Oh, you know, Collingwood only had one coach who won the finals between 1910 and 1950. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he was in charge the entire time. Yeah. yeah. And this gets us to the grand final. The grand final. So, in front of 116,828 people, we had Carlton meet, meeting Essendon. Uh, and uh, we're now going to cross over to the winning captain. Yeah, John Nichols has boot up that way back, slightly yeah, way, way back. That back then, folks. Back then, the shade. <laughs> John Nichols, welcome. You have been captain of the Blues for three games, and today, your third game in charge, you were a premiership captain. Thanks, all. Although, I think you're forgetting 63 when I was captain under Kenny Hand, so leadership isn't exactly new to me. Oh, of course, John. So, sorry. Um, but back to today. What a thrill. course it's, it's been a big year for Carlton as you probably know we hadn't won a flag since 1947 so to win a premiership after 21 years I just know how emotional 
all our supporters will be tonight. And now with the new social club down at Princess Park, we have a place where everyone can come along and help us celebrate the win. Which must make today all the sweeter. And today must really help sweep away the disappointment of last season when you lost both your finals. Absolutely it does. After a disappointing effort by a few of our players in 1967, the team came into this season with a strong will to win. Last year's letdown seemed to spur us on to succeed. Made in some good young players coming into the team too, which must have helped give the team another boost. Yeah, we could feel as though the team was on the rise. Jezza, Walsey, Kekovic, Minari, Brent Croswell were all relatively new. You didn't start the season well. Uh, you had an early win, but then two shocking losses, uh, especially round three against the Bombers, when you only kicked a goal. That was bloody awful, and Ron wasn't too happy with us. He had us training on Sundays and really pushed us, challenged us. It was a good wake-up call, I suppose. And from there, we just clicked. Went on a really good winning streak. And Barassi's form really came into focus then as well. Was that a distraction to the team? Not really. We knew the selectors were making the best decision for the team. Though one team you couldn't beat was Essendon. In both games this season, they got hold of you. Both games were slogs, but you had a way to work on this? Yeah, well, earlier Ron Barassi and the match committee delegated a spy to watch Essendon players for several weeks before the finals to analyse their patterns of play. Uh, so that explains that uh, semi-final win a few weeks ago where you were easily able to reverse that pattern. Yeah, we really revved ourselves up for that game, and I think you probably saw that early on. We had five goals on the board before they even managed one. Even Jezza got crunched by Kekovic, such was our determination. The Bombers did stage a comeback in the second quarter. How did Barras react? He was pretty calm, actually. We'd resorted to safety-first tactics, but his cool, collected mood really helped us refocus. And Quirky with his three goals was great. We held them to a goal after half-time and gave ourselves the week off. Well, the Bombers bounced back against the Cats to set up another match against you, but you were ready for them. Yeah, well, this week we put in considerable amounts of time watching our opponents on TV replays, and this proved to be a deciding tactical factor because we worked out that the Bombers' Ruckman and Ruck Rovers were playing a kick behind the play. This created a loose man right around the ground, but more particularly in the centre. We decided on a plan whereby our Ruckman and Ruck Rovers, instead of automatically falling back to the defence or going to the back pocket, should stay behind the play man for man around the ground. Oh, that must have given you confidence coming into the game. But the weather today wasn't exactly great for football. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was very, very windy out there. Northerly winds, uh, which made it quite gusty. Now, the Bombers had injury concerns with Ken Fraser unable to take his place. But Carlton, um, you guys had problems of your own? Yeah, both Jezza and Bennett pulled up pretty sore from the Essendon semi-final, but both were able to run out with us today, so the week off really helped them. So another surprise was the Bombers replacing Ken Fraser with 17-year-old Jeff Bletham for only second game. How did you feel about that? Well, a 17-year-old should be easy for an experienced fullback like Wes to control, but he was also quite mentally fragile, so Barras told him early on that he'd be playing in the back pocket. It was only as we were running out today that he told Wes he'd be at fullback. So although Blethen had a pretty bloody good day for a second gamer, Wes also held his head up high. So, John, you won the toss, and uh, Blethen, the 17-year-old, actually kicked the first goal of the match. Uh, both sides were tackling hard, and it was a good five minutes before I think it was Adrian Gallagher took the first match of the mar mark of the match. It was a good hard match. It was exactly what we expected. Both defences were really on top, with John Ellis of Essendon starting well in the middle. But you had a plan for Ellis. More spy work? 
<laughs> we discovered another piece of information which proved to be important. Uh, and although there were other big-name players in the Essendon side, John Ellis was a springboard for many of their attacks, both with good kicking and because he fed teammates with a surprising number of handballs. So what was the plan? We decided to play Tiger Croswell against him in the centre. Well, we had a hunch he would have a psychological advantage as he'd beaten Ellis on two occasions when he was a bit younger. And today Tiger did it again. He controlled Ellis's handball until he tied late in the game and shifted to the forward line. It was hardly surprising he was tired considering he'd been injured, but importantly he was able to hold on long enough to do the job we wanted from him. After a tense, hard opening quarter, Brian Kekovic started to shine in the second quarter. Yeah, Kekovic's goals for us into that win were monumental. Although he missed a few, he probably could have kicked a few more. So at half-time you led by 13 points, uh, but New Essendon would come back. One thing you probably didn't realise was that Carlton would only kick one more goal for the whole game. If you told me pre-game we'd only kick one goal in the second half but still win the flag, I'd have told you you were dreaming. I mean, we hit the post three times, we had a bit of bad luck around the forward line though. Both teams only managed a goal in the third quarter. You got into a bit of a tangle with Don McKenzie. What was happening there? No, nothing, nothing. I was just showing him um, what I thought of him. Umpire crouched to him pretty quickly, and guess who he gave the bloody free kick to? Mackenzie. Now, you boys led by 11 at the last change, so what did the coach say to you to rev you up for that last push? He just helped us focus on the task at hand. He said something to the effect of, you have death or glory ahead of you over the next 30 minutes. If you hang on and fight desperately enough, it'll be glory. That seemed to do the trick. That last quarter was fierce, with this, you know, the match taking a similar pattern throughout um, the day. Never really more than two goals in it. It was a fight to the death. We couldn't buy a goal. Jezza missed one streaming in early on. Then I remember Kekovic had a shot at goal and kicked a banana from about a 45 degree angle when there was really no need to kick a banana. He didn't even score. Barassi made the call and swapped off Bennett for 20th man Neil Chandler. Good move. I reckon it proved to be a pretty pivotal move. He pulled down quite a few big marks for us. <laughs> well, speaking of big marks, that, the young man, Blevin, took a huge one and bore the Bombers only one point behind. It was as tight as ever. We knew it would be a fight between the defence of each team. Although we kicked a few more points to edge further ahead, it was excruciating to keep missing like we did. But you didn't give up. No, that's something we pride ourselves on. We were three points ahead. Essendon was an attack in the dying minutes. Uh, the Bombers' Alan Noonan was going to mark well within scoring range and Weser just absolutely clocked him over the head. Noonan dropped the mark. We cleared the ball and the next thing I remember was the glorious sound of the bell. And how did it feel? Bloody fantastic. So what do you put today's win down to? Yeah, look, the pre-match planning proved to be match wing for us. We didn't play at our best and we were still good enough to win. It was a team effort and we didn't give Essendon an inch. I think the week's rest helped us. Uh, I thought we probably should have sewn the match up early. We, we just didn't kick straight enough. Now, Johnny, you had a fantastic day today. 31 hitouts, 12 disposals. Uh, but who else do you think stood out? Oh, well, they're just a courageous bunch of players. I'm, I'm proud of every one of them. Uh, every man did his job. If I had to pick some, I'd say uh, Crane, uh, Robbo, uh, Serge had a great day, uh, Colo. And before we leave, how did the coach react? Uh, we saw him tearing onto the ground after the siren. Well, we all know he's won six of these at another team, but as a coach, I think he felt himself under pressure to win one, especially after our poor performance in the finals last year. I think he's proud of us all, and I think personally it's probably his proudest moment in football. Is this the start of a new era at Carlton, possibly? I would say so. Um, 
They're just waiting until next year. We've got uh, Bert Thornley and Sid Jackson waiting in the wings, and they're both very, very good players. I think it's safe to say that Carlton will be a force to be reckoned with, uh, and this win set us up for the future. In that case, we'll be talking to you again soon, John. I hope so. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks. All right, some stats from that game. Uh, Brian Kekovic kicked four, Crane one, Crosswell one, Quirk one for Essendon, Blethen four. In his second game as a 17-year-old in grand final. Robin Close one, Bruce Lake one, Noonan one, Sproul one. Best for Carlton were Crane, Nichols, Robertson, Jezelenko, Gallagher, Kekovic, Silvani and Collins. Um, For the first and only time in VFL history, the Premiership team kicked fewer goals than the runner-up. The final score being Essendon 8-5-53, Carlton 7-14-56. Wow. Yeah, that chance. Really? Yep. So, not not the that didn't happen in the famous forty-eight game, no? Because it wasn't a win; it was a draw. Ah, oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yes. So, so this ends a run of six different teams winning flags in a row, which is yeah. the most ever. So it's only ever happened twice. It happened again from two thousand and three to two thousand and eight. So it's good when different teams. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, between 67 and 83, only four, time, four teams are going to win the 17 premierships on offer. So. Okay, dynasties inside. Next year, yeah, next year, get used to us talking about the same teams all the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, other results. We've got Essendon beating Richmond 97 to 92 in the reserves. In the under-19s, we've got some uh, another issue where our team gets booted out. Geelong was stripped of all premiership points after round 18 when it was found that they had played ineligible player John Taylor who was actually residentially tied to Footscray. They lost points relegated Geelong from fourth to last and they missed the finals. Uh, Richmond won that game against Footscray by, by a goal. Mm. The McClellan Trophy went to the Bombers. Um, yeah, so let's uh, let's wrap it up. Let's do it. Over there already. Who took out the wooden spoon? North Melbourne. It was. The Premiers? The Premiers were come. <laughs> the Mighty Blues. Leading goal kicker? Peter Hudson with 125 sausage yeah. rolls. <laughs> Miles the Brownlow medal? Bob Skilton with his third. With 24 votes. Huge. Yeah. 15 games. Um, Amazing. My retrospective rising star oh, yes. has got my... I'm, I'm doing Good. a... Uh, what was his name? C.C. Mullins. C.C. Mullins. Peter Bedford was oh. our rising star winner um, of South Melbourne. Brent Crosswell okay. in second. Greg Park of Melbourne. Come I really third. love how controversial this <laughs> is. <laughs> Highest score was Essendon, 26, 16, 172. Most behinds, Peter Hudson in fourth on 62. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I know you want to know what the McCracken Name Award is. I do. I've got a few. Do you want me to read them? Or you no, know? i got it right here. Yeah. No, Moz, I'm sorry, but we're not giving it to Bean, but can you give us another Mr. Bean? <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a player here called Rochford. His first name is Rochford. Yeah, Rochford. Uh, Rochford Devonish Mears. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The Absolutely. All right. Here's some retirees for us. Daryl Baldock, 119 oh. games, 237 goals, a premiership. St Kilda's only premiership captain. Too soon. Also, St Kilda, we've got Brian Sirakowski, uh, 75 games. Verdon Howe, a good Brownlow medal, 159 mm-hmm. games. Of Melbourne, we've got Don Williams, Brian Dixon, Hassaman. Oh my god. That's like sweet. 600 games between them. Oh. I mean, Don Williams, five flags, Brian Dixon, five flags, Hassaman, three flags. From, from so Essendon, well. we've got uh, multiple flag winning Alex Eppis, Russell Blue, and Ken Fraser all retiring. Again, a, a big chunk of games. John Herriot of, North, of South Melbourne, 153 games. Graham Arthur of Hawthorne, 232 games. Hawthorne's only premiership captain. Yeah. 
Ian Law also from that team, 106 games. Paddy Gwinane of Richmond, 146 games, one flag. John Schultz, another Brownlow medalist. Schultzy. 188 games. And Dennis Marshall of Geelong, only 84 games. 84 great games. He went back to, to, uh, to WA to play. Um, now, a few thank yous as well. I'd like to thank the Ian Prendercast, which is a Carlton football podcast. Yes. So, one of the oh. best names for a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you might have noticed, we, we, we've tried to speed things up and streamline things a bit on this this show. Yes. We're very wary that we're getting close to the two-hour mark, some of them are. Um, so, if you want to send us some feedback, we'd love to know... Are we, is it too long? Do you like the long format? Do you want it longer? Because um, you know, <laughs> we can get longer. We're talking, like, do we split it in half and try to spend more time? We, we, you know, if you've got any feedback for us, we'd love some as yeah. we move forward. Welcome. Um, so please let us know. But yeah, guys, we are almost at the end of the 60s. Um, we're closing in on 100 episodes. Unbelievable. We've got, we'll do the 1969 episode, then we'll do our yearly wrap-up, which I'm really looking forward to. We've got so many champions to debate. I can't uh, debate. wait to fight with you all about who deserves to be in our team of the year. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be great. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll hand over now to Joey to hear about Around the Grounds, but that's 1968. That's it. So cannot wait for 69 and the, and the end of another great year. Hooroo! Hello and welcome to Around the Grounds. Let's get 1968 underway with three clubs completing their three-peats this year. Uh, starting with the VFA as usual, unlike previous years, the preceding off-season was very uneventful. Uh, Preston has won their minor premiership this year and beating second place Paran to win their first Div 1 flag by 14 points. Danny Long's Jim Miller has won the leading goalkeeping award with 72 goals during the home and away season and an additional five during the finals. The JJ listed medalist was won by Preston centerman Dick Telford by 26 points. So 26 votes. Let's go to DV2. Geelong West has won their second DV2 premiership, defeating minor premiers Williamstown in a high-scoring tug of war, winning by two goals. Williamstown Keith Siska has won the leading goalkeeping with 67 home and away goals and an additional four during the season. Williamstown's Ian Nankervis hold the most votes in their best and fairest with 30 votes. And Geelong West are now back in Divi 1 for next year, replacing Wooden Spooners Coburg for next season. In the VAFA, still in Victoria, University Blues Philium M. Moran has won the J.N. Woodrow medal with 25 votes. Coburg's R.K. McFarlane with 54 home and away goals has won the leading goalkeeper award. And Old Paradians have gone for their three-peat, their second three-peat since 1962, only missing out the 1965 grand final, beating Caulfield Grammar for, this, for the second year in a row by 75 points. Across the border to the Sandville, Sturt has won their sixth minor premiership and has beaten Port Adelaide in the grand final by 27 points for their eighth flag, competing, uh, completing their three-peat. Central District's Rick Vikovic has won the leading Gokey Award with 62 goals. And the Maguri medal has, has been an interesting one this year. Uh, South Adelaide Ruckman Peter Daly had been tied with North Adelaide centre-half forward Barry Robran with 22 votes. 
but Dai was the first Sandful player to have the most or equal most votes and to be ineligible to win due to suspension. Dali's one-match suspension was early in the season for abusing an umpire. In the waffle, across another ball, Subiaco power forward Austin Robinson Jr. has won his fourth Bernie Naylor medal with 162 goals, the most, the second most goals in the season, only second behind, only second by the medal's namesake in 1953 with 167 goals. Perth Barry Cable has won his second Sandover medal with 25 votes. And Perth has completed a three-peat again, winning their fifth flag, beating East Perth by 24 points. And as we read before, Barry Cable completed it with a great season with winning the Simpson medal with the best of field. I crossed this uh, Tassie Strait to the Tassie Footy League. Minor Premier's Norfolk have beaten North Hobart by 29 points, winning their first flag. And to wrap up this end of the podcast, in the top end in the NTFL, the 68-69 NTFL season was a repeat of last year's grand final. Darwin has gone back-to-back, beating St. Mary's by 42 points. And we have a tie for this year's Nichols medal with Dar. Darwin's Ali or Ali Muir and Wanderers uh, Maury Ryan collecting the medal. Thank you and have a great night. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.